Welcome to Eternal Leadership. I'm Steve Ryder, and I just want to give a quick shout out to three people that have given us ratings on iTunes. Niche Entrepreneur, Fearless Agent, and Jody Flynn. Thank you to everyone that has given us a rating and those that have shared this show on social media or with your friends via email. If you haven't given us a rating on iTunes, please consider going there and giving us an honest rating, and maybe you'll get a shout out on a future episode. If you look at serving and why that's so powerful, it's unconditional love, right? And part of what I wish I would have written about in my book is the power of second chances. Mm. Because when you think about men and we get so attached to our titles. And if you lose your job, it's less about the money than it is about how do I define myself? How am I perceived? And how am I perceived? Where am I getting my identity from? Absolutely. And, and I think we magnify that 10 times greater to what the outside world thinks, right? Totally agree. And so- I've done that. Yeah, I'm like right there in front of the line <laughs> with you. And you think about the power of second chances now where a lot of times these are, are blessings that come to us. And why are they blessings? Because it's an opportunity to rebirth something inside of us. We get to rekindle, reignite, that spark inside of us that's creativity. And I think we're at our highest and best self as human beings when we're creating. And back to the word serving, why I think that's important here. Serving is all about creating. You're mm -hmm. creating a better life for someone. You're creating different outcomes. You're creating something that's bigger than self. And it's about what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? And that's really where you start to get filled on a much different level. That clip you just heard was our guest executive and author, Tim Brown, talking with my co-host, John Ramstead, and myself during some small talk as Tim and I made coffee before our interview at Tim's house in Denver recently. Tim authored a book, Jumping Into the Parade, where he is very open about his journey and struggle with depression. We've got a few signed copies of that book to give away. Just stay tuned for that info at the end. This is a great conversation. Here's Tim Brown, John Ramstead, and myself on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Well, Tim, welcome to Eternal Leadership. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really excited to have you on because the, what, the topic that you're going to be talking about today is something I know that I have personally gone through in my life, and I think so many people have struggled both with just depression and finding significance in their life and just so many things that you have done and you write about so beautifully in your book and uh, what I've gotten from you is just how do you put it all together pull hope into your life and find a way forward and you've done it in such a powerful way I'd love for you to start out and just you know share with us just what your journey has been and how did you find yourself at that that point and how did you how did you move forward well that's a big one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I grew up very in a working class family, and at a young age, I took this mindset of, hey, make it out there and you'll be fine in here on the inside. And for me, it was all about career. Mm -hmm. So I was a self-made millionaire by the time I was 30, I was very entrepreneurial, and went into my 30s, built some companies, spent quite a bit of money on building those companies out. When the markets cratered in late 08, early 09, 
I lost $55 million based on the valuation of the radio stations that I owned. We had a competitor in the Denver market. They sold all of their stations at a fire sale because their parent company was going to slip debt covenants. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this in my book and it completely crashed everybody's value positions, like the real estate market. Mm -hmm. And my entire life had been attaching my worth as a man to my works. And now everything had completely shifted for me. And instead of using that experience as nothing more than an experience to learn from, I use that as a milestone in my life. I use that as a way to define me. What was that definition? Failure. Mm. That I had failed. I had I'd failed my former father-in-law in believing in me and starting the business. I would failed my family. I would failed myself. It made me question my leadership skills. It made me question my values. It made me question how I'd been spending my time everything. And I went on to start another company, but instead of starting that next company from a place of love, I started that company from a place of fear that I was going to prove to the world that I wasn't a failure. Had you been in that place of love or, or, or service prior to this, this, this crash? Is that, was that your mindset when you started? I had been, but I didn't know it at the time. Hmm. I had really been following my heart. And I started to question my heart when the market shifted. And the reality is when I look back at things that occurred in that business, in that radio business, there's a lot of decisions I could have made differently as a CEO. Hmm. And I take full responsibility for that. There were also things that occurred that were outside my control in terms of the markets crashing and people not spending money on marketing. And I had to just get comfortable with, there was a lesson for me to learn here and I wouldn't change a thing. Now, I started a second company after that, <clears throat> and I grew that from $220,000 in revenue to 770 to 3.1 million to 5.6 million to 10.2 million. It's now a $15 million company. And I basically just worked myself to the bone 70, 80 hours a week by trying to prove to the world again that it wasn't a failure. And I came to the point of almost taking my life one time when the radio stations failed in July of 09 and then again November 29th of 2011. And I decided that the way that I was living my life wasn't going to work for me anymore. And when I came back from the edge, I was so scared and the depression that I had was so deep. And the self-anger that I had with myself, which was frankly causing the depression, ran so deep. Mm -hmm. But I really, at that point, didn't understand any of that. And so it, that began the, the big journey. And it was in August of 2012 when I was praying about, you know, God, show me what my purpose is. Show me how I can serve others, how I can serve you. That the whole idea of writing Jumping Into the Parade was placed on my heart. And it was, you know... It's really not as much about my story as it is about the reader's story and what kind of perspective I'm able to bring to them as they read through you know, my own life experiences. We're all connected and we all have very similar emotions, very similar experiences in our life. And some of the things that brought me out of depression were change, a change of perspective. 
So bring us back to that time, uh, 2011. You know, how did how did you start to develop even awareness that this was the place that you were in? This, you knew that this was a dark, fearful place. I'm sure that all this was weighing on you. But when you when did you get some clarity that about where you were? In 2009, after the first time that I had contemplated taking my life, I immediately went on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. Mm -hmm. And I fully came off of the anti-anxiety medication in August of 2011. So I was on it for a little over two years. And really it was at that point that I realized that there were a lot of things wrong. And that year, 2011, I was on the road 52 consecutive weeks. Mm -hmm trying to sell for our company because a year ago in 2010, when we had really tooled up to build out the company, we had really over levered mm. and we needed to get to a cash flow neutral position, which we did in May of 2011. But in December of 2010, we were losing $400,000 a month. So anyway, to answer your question more directly, it would have been August of 2011, but it didn't come full circle for me until that night in New York when I almost jumped off a building and as I rode down the elevator to meet a colleague of mine in the lobby, and we ended up staying uh, up all night talking. Now, you talk about this in your book, because I think this was a real watershed moment for you personally. You're in an elevator. You can hit up to go to the top of this building. Three floors up. And, yeah. and, and do what you've been contemplating, commit suicide. Or you can hit down and go reconnect with a friend of yours who's, who you know cares for you. And, and, but that was your moment where you had to make a, a decision. It was. And it wasn't until three months ago that I learned what really happened in the elevator through a lot of therapy. I don't even write about it in the book. But my former father-in-law and I were having this conversation right before he had invited me to join the Anschutz Foundation. And I asked him, you know, why would you take so much money and create this foundation? And he had some answers, you know, number one, this is God's money. Number two, it matters to me on how we serve others. But number three was the biggest. And he said, I believe in the power of second chances. Hmm. And it was really that conversation that we had in 2005 that saved my life. Because there I was in the elevator, I could hear the fans humming. And I think secretly, I hoped that somebody would push a button on a floor below me and bring the elevator down. But for what seemed like an eternity, it was probably 40 or 50 seconds. I could hear the hum of the fans and I flashed back to that conversation with him about the power of second chances. And I had no idea what that was gonna look like for me, but I knew that second chances exist and that ultimately is why I pushed the down button. And so in many respects, my book is about how do you come back strong, but it's also how do you use everything that's happened in your life and realize that these things will serve you? Mm -hmm. Everything that occurs in life is nothing more than experiences, but we get to choose, you know, keyword, we get to choose how we want to use those experiences. We can be victorious with those experiences or we can be a victim. Most of my life was being a victim. I just didn't realize it at the time. Did that answer your question? Um, it did because, you know, it's interesting, you know, as I went through, as you know, I had an accident three years ago that I shouldn't have survived. And as I 
was recovering, you know, my mindset was, why did, why did I get the second chance? Why did God keep me alive? Because I, I shouldn't be here. And I was sharing with a, uh, a friend of mine that I just have this incredible gift of the second chance. And it's come through this horrible accident. And he looked at me and says, you know, I would argue that every single one of us, every single morning when we wake up, uh, it's, it's a second chance. But it's all about our mindset and how we think about who we are and what we want to do with our life. And now you got to that place and you said, okay, I'm, I'm on this trajectory with my life. You had awareness of what that was and you said, I, I want a different result. How did you how did you make that shift? I think a lot of people who are stuck, that shift is a very hard thing to do. I started working with a leadership coach named Stephen McGee. Mm-hmm. And the first place that Stephen and I jumped in was a very important question. Are you living inside your integrity or not? The, the outside world views integrity as the difference between right and wrong. But that's not what Stephen meant. Integrity is about self-honesty, self-truth. And he said, I need you to get real clear on whether or not you've been true to yourself. And the reality was I hadn't. So I what, was, what does being true to yourself mean? It, it means really understanding who you are and appreciating who you are and the way you're wired. And instead of focusing on all the things that you're not, you're focusing on all the things that you are. Instead of going to meetings with people who don't share the same values that you may have or being involved in, in, in things in your life that don't bring you joy, you start to shift that. My, my equation is very simple now. If it brings me joy, I do it. If it doesn't bring me joy, I don't. And I also... In I'm guessing of, that's a big difference from before. It is, absolutely. And... You know, there are things in life that don't, aren't you know, always joyful. If you get audited by the IRS, there's probably not a lot of joy in that. And it's just what you, what you have to do. Right. You don't have a choice. Yeah, but there's also, it can be at least your, your mindset going into it can be, well, I'm going to learn something from this. And so it's not that life isn't going to throw us curveballs. I don't want to seem Pollyannish here. Mm-hmm. Life will always, always throw us curveballs but we still get to choose on how we want to use that. Yeah. You know, is it going to be for our upliftment, our betterment and our learning or not? Mm-hmm. It's that simple. So, so you got to that point after you went down to the, uh, the lobby, right? You chose to embrace the second chance. Yes. What was it, what, what did you do next after that? Cause all this is still in your head. I had to stop unraveling 42 years of lies I had been telling myself and to get real clear about who I was. I mean, you think about the relationships that we're in. Look at the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. The Ten Commandments is all about relationships. And the majority of the Ten Commandments is about relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. And you think, if you don't know yourself, how are you able to communicate what you need and want with other people in your life. Right. And for me, I had to get authentic about what do I love and why do I love those things? And what are the things that bring me joy, the small things in life? I had to get authentic about what's my anger trying to tell me? Like as an example, 
I discovered that a lot of my thinking had been future-based and had been my mind being in the future that had been causing so much of the anxiety, the fear, and the fear of the fears. And when you look at the cause of depression for many people, a lot of times it's because our thoughts are living in the future. But life, life, you know, as John Lennon said, life happens while you're busy making plans, <laughs> right? And well, and when you live in the future, what do you, what causes the stress there, right? You're afraid of a fantasy reality that you're projecting that might or might not even come true. And, and 99% you, and you, of the time And you stop living in today. So you realize this, right? You realized I have to stop living in the future and pull that back to the present. What did that look like? It has been a skill I continue to work on. Mm -hmm. I, it's funny, you write a book and you get people that reach out to you after they've read the book. And, you know, like I have it fully figured out and I don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a journey for me too. And that's what I tell them is, you know, this is, is, is where my heart is right now, but it's still learning. And a lot of the things I write about in my book, you know, some of these things on a scale of, of one to 10, I'm a four on, I just yeah. have awareness on it. And that's, that's another thing that I really want to emphasize here. There's a big difference between being aware of something mm -hmm. and having it integrated into your being, right? Because if it's not integrated to who you are, then if you get tested, there's nothing there. Like it, it's, I had that, I talk about that in my book where I did a keynote in Mexico. Here I am a year and a half into my recovery. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm in a really great place. I'm now on the road, got a lot of pressure. It's my first keynote that I'm going to give to a paid corporate audience. I'm alone. Mm -hmm. And all of the Bentley Hotel things that had happened in November of 2011 come screaming back. And I had not been fully integrated at that point in terms of all the tools that you use to come back. Right. You start to make a list of all the things that bring you joy in your life. You start to make a list of all the things going right in your life. You get super present where you can actually taste the texture of the food in your mouth. You taste the water going down your throat. You start to get grateful for everything that's right there immediately in front of you. So you're really focused on being in the moment all the time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And part of that too is prayer. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you ever notice nothing bad will come through your mind. In many respects, a lot of your fears go away when you pray. No, it's true. It's an interesting point. I haven't thought of that before. Yeah. And the other thing for me too, John, is I had to get away from this should have, could have, would have in my mm. life and stop shooting on myself. And so for me, part of my authenticity was I had to get back to creating. It's no accident either that the second word in the Genesis, the second word in the Bible is created. Humans are at their highest and best form in life when we're creating. And I'm a firm believer that everything that we do in life is a co-creation with the Holy Spirit. And <clears throat> when well, we're creating- Talk about that when, when, you know, in your life as you're creating, right? Uh, you know, I always think of creating like, you know, producing content or something pretty, but uh, you talk about this, it's, it's much more than that. Absolutely. Think about serving. Mm-hmm. Think about the, at the, at the, the kernel, the, the core of what serving really is, unconditional love. And unconditional love is about creating. Mm -hmm. What are you creating? 
You're creating a better life for another person. You're creating purpose in your own life. You're creating different outcomes that, that God wants to see happen here on earth. You're listening to your heart. And these aren't make-believe, these are real. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why people with, with millions and millions of dollars are unhappy. And there's a reason why people with no money can be unhappy. It's all about your mindset and how you're serving people. And I believe that some of the most incredible feelings you can ever experience is when you come into something expecting nothing in return. Now, for me, as I look at being a CEO of a company again, I want to serve my employees. I want to serve our customers. I, I want to do God's work and serve God in those, in those respects. But I also want to run a business. I want to run a P&L. And you can do both. It's a blend. You can run a profitable company and also impact lives positively. Is that, is that a new concept for you, having gone through this? That level of, that attitude? I think it is. I think that I've always been very focused on, we're going to go from point A to point B. This is what it looks like. The definition of success is when plan B works. Mm -hmm. So let's have a plan B. We're going to equip our people with the right tools that they need professionally. But I don't think I ever really spent as much time as I could have until sign language, which is really where I got exposed to servant-based leadership on a whole different level. And that's the company you were running, right? Sign language? Yeah, that was the next company after the radio stations mm -hmm. to where I started to take an interest in people's personal lives who were on my team. And it was incredible. The, the guy who was pretty key, he was our shipping manager there. The day that I left sign language, January 31st of 2013, I'm walking out the door and he comes up to me and I had given him a copy of A Purpose Driven Life. And he said to me, this book changed my entire marriage. My wife and I now read a chapter together every night. Hmm. And that was me taking an interest in his life and his, in, in him as a person and finding out you know, what was on his heart. And that's really where I think we can thrive as leaders. It's about life leadership. And life mm -hmm. leadership is a blend about the, the leadership that we provide as a spouse, the leadership we provide as a parent. It's the leadership that we provide professionally. And it's, frankly, the leadership that we provide in our community. And that community, God's a part of, right? It's our faith, our, our family, and our friends. Right. Now, it's, it sounds like this is a big part of what's... You know, you talked about going back to Mexico and everything came crashing back in, right? So you've built a new mindset and a way of doing things that keeps you in this healthy place that you've found. Is, is, has this been a big part of it? For me, I continue to try to focus on what's going right in my life. I continue mm -hmm. to try to be grateful for everything that I have. And the other piece that I haven't even talked about yet is I'm very vulnerable now. Mm. I don't mind sitting down with somebody and telling them my story. And what I have found is the more vulnerable I get, my world expands 10 times mm. from where I ever thought. Back to what, five minutes ago, we're all connected. I mean, right. everybody's got the battles that they're, they're facing and their own fights and their own fears. And 
when you realize that you're not on an island and it's, oh, wow, there are other people who are going through this, it's very empowering. Right. You, you know, the, this concept of vulnerability, if I had met you back in 2008, 2009, um, my guess is you would have been very scared to be vulnerable with people, right? Because the you, you that your identity was being given to you by everybody around you. The perception of you as a successful, strong leader. And uh, what advice would have gotten through that back then if somebody had, had talked to you? What would you say to yourself, your 2009 self? That is one of the hardest questions anyone has ever asked me. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> It, it probably would have been looking at my life and saying, how's that working for you? What do you think the people who work for you say about you when you're not around? Um, you know, do you realize that your son is writing his story right now? How engaged are you? Mm. And really try to pull in all the human elements to it. Mm. And, and here, this is the way it really boils down in this game of life that we're playing. Yeah. When it's all said and done, all the pieces go back in the box and the box goes back on the shelf and all we're left with are the people who we have loved and the people who have loved us. That's it. Everything else goes back in the box. And I think if somebody had sat down with me in 2008 and 2009 and been able to tell me that mm -hmm. and really get me focused on, you know, there are things coming your way, brother, and they're going to be big and you can prepare for it now by developing these tools. And these tools are all tools of perspective that would have resonated with me. But the issue is when you're inside the bottle, you can't read the label and you need a strong community around you to be able to read the label. And at that point in my life, I was so confused because I had been going to the outside world to get my validation. And it's easy to do. It's really easy to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're communal animals. Our biggest fear is not being in the pack. And we don't want to be outside the pack where we're not accepted, we're not loved. And that was another thing for me. I mean. The first time I ever felt unconditional love was from my former father-in-law. I mean, he saw things in me that no one else could see way before and didn't give up on me. Now, I would love for you to share, though, your father-in-law, his view of you, his love toward you, his uh, expectations of you were very different, though, than what you had built up in your mind. And this, for you, was a huge part of... of the place that you got into in that very dark time, right? And it wasn't just with your father-in-law. It was what you built up in these relationships around you. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, it all goes back to I abdicated self in lieu of a model, right? Make it out there. You're fine in here. Yeah. And so everything that you do is for outward appearance. And for me, I ended up keeping myself busy all the time. I mean, I would work till midnight every night. And then I would fear that time at night where you crawl into bed and the email is stopped, the phone has been put down, the music's been turned off, you know, the stage lights have, have gone from 
bright to dim. And now you're just there. It's just you and God in bed. <laughs> so what was, what was scary about that? For me, it was the fear of my fears. It mm. was, I don't deserve to be a CEO. And if I were a competent CEO, my company would be performing differently. And it was, if I really knew what I was doing, I would take more time to be present with my wife. I mean, I could have saved my marriage if I had been more present. But the reality is I came home and I was never present for my former wife. Everything I was thinking about had to do with building the company and how I was perceived by the business community because that was my banner. That was the banner that I stood underneath all the time. And I recently did an exercise called You Are Way More Than Your Title, where I wrote my name in the center of a piece of paper and I wasn't allowed to write anything about me professionally. And so here's my name, Tim Brown, in the center of the page and I draw a little island and I say father and then son and then grandson and I hit all the easy ones. And then I'm like, now what? Oh, let's see, I'm an author, I'm a keynote speaker, I'm a photographer, I'm a community member, I'm a disciple of God. I'm a great friend to a ton of people. I'm an owner of a wonderful black lab. So those are uh, things that you were doing in your life. Yeah, but I never gave myself credit for any of those mm. because my entire viewpoint of life was all about what we do professionally. Mm. And how we show up in the world is far, far deeper, far greater than our title on a business card. So it's... I do all these things. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I own a dog. I, I, I work with leaders. And oh, by the way, I'm a CEO of a company too. Absolutely. It's a blend, not a balance. Mm -hmm. So when you lay down tonight and you're in bed and you're alone there with God, what's that like now? It's a lot better than it used to be. I used to have a lot of nightmares too. Mm -hmm. And those have mostly gone away now but I sleep pretty soundly for six hours. Mm -hmm. I tend to fall asleep pretty fast now. A lot of times I fall asleep in the middle of my prayers. <laughs> I'm not sure how, that's, <laughs> how that goes over with, with the big man. <laughs> <laughs> the Holy Spirit picks up and keeps praying for you while you're asleep. I didn't know if you knew that. <laughs> you know, I appreciate that. You know, it's great to see you laugh and smile because I know how... Uh, what this you know journey has meant to you, you know, for somebody listening, right, uh, who can just really relate to where you came from. What do you think was the biggest shift that you could share with somebody between how you used to feel going to bed and how you feel now? Mm. Another tough question. I, you know, it's. When you're just authentically you, yeah. there's not a lot of pressure. And I think that's the biggest difference is I go to bed now and I can, I can say with 100% conviction that I'm living my life from the inside out. I mean, jumping into the parade, the, there's, there's really three themes to the book. The first is how do you live your life from the inside out? Mm-hmm. The second is, how do you reframe everything, create new perspective to find the good side to the bad? And the third is, how do you heal from the inside out? 
And the way that you heal from the inside out, step number one, is you just get super authentic about who you are and get very grateful for every experience that you've ever had. And you start to realize that we all have our warts. Mm -hmm. We all have things that we wish we wouldn't have done. But that tomorrow is a new day. It's a day of second chances. And it's up to us to, to go ignite that. We can find inspiration in so many people, so many events, so many experiences, but we have to be open to it. And there's a lot of power too when I go to bed at night where I know that tomorrow is going to be a great day, but that I don't necessarily tie myself to an outcome. I'm getting more and more comfortable with letting things happen the way that they're supposed to happen. And when you think about a lot of the anxiety that people go through mm -hmm. with future-based thoughts, mm -hmm. they're trying to control an outcome. That's really at the heart of it. They're trying to control an outcome. And where does that control of outcome come from? It comes from a place of fear. When you love everything that's happening in your life, you don't have those worries anymore and you become less attached. In, in the Christian religion, right, we, we talk about the power of surrender. Right. And I think that's a difficult concept for many people to wrap their arms around, especially men, right? You get this image of somebody waving a white flag. Well, you hear like the I, term let go and let God, it's almost like a throwaway line. It, yes. And, and really what I, how I have interpreted that is don't attach to an outcome. You know, live your life. You have a purpose, follow your heart and you'll be blessed. Mm -hmm. A lot of things will come into your life, but you have to be looking for them. And the reality is we get more of what we focus on in life. Right. And so if you want to focus on the fears, your life's going to be filled with the fear. If you want to focus on love, your life's going to be focused with more love. There's only two programs you get to run in life. There's not a third. And those are the two programs? Those are the two. Fear and love. Fear and love. Can they coexist? That's the third hardest question at that. <laughs> the question is, do you believe in light or darkness? Is darkness simply the absence of light? And is light simply the absence of darkness? There's always, the truth is, it's always somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it from that perspective... If darkness is the absence of light, unless it's absolutely pitch black, which I think means that we're, we're dead, that means that there's always light. And, 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 my, and what I always see that even that little bit of light is hope, right? And you talk a lot in this book about hope and the power of hope. And I know that that's actually what got me through my accident and all the surgeries I went through in, you know, almost two years in, under hospital care. So... Where did hope play a role and where did you find it? Maybe that's a better question. Where did you find the hope when you were in that really bad place? It was blind faith at the time. It was literally blind faith on, I know at one point in my life I felt a certain way and I can get back there. And did you do that on your own or did you have resources or friends that were sowing some of that hope also and, and kind of fanning the flames or that little ember? I did not do it on my own. It was a community. 
of people. It was God, it was my leadership coach, Stephen McGee, it was my father, it was my former father-in-law, it was business colleagues, friends. It was a collective effort and there were a lot of people who loved me that really rallied behind and were incredibly supportive. Incredibly supportive. I remember going for a walk one night with a friend of mine, Peter Bryant, and he gave me so much hope that things could get better. What he did said, he say to you, if you can share? He said, I want you to go and buy this book called A Purpose Driven Life, and I want you to read it. Mm -hmm. And it's going to completely change the way you think about everything in life. And I went and I bought the book on my iPad, forgot about it for a year, and I started reading it on the plane flight back from New York after the second suicide attempt. And it changed everything. And it was funny, last night I was lying in my bed and my son came into my room and woke me up and he said, hey dad, I found the copy of A Purpose Driven Life that you gave me. And he goes, I just reread the note that you wrote to me on the inside cover. And he turned on the light in my room and he reread what I wrote to him about living inside his integrity and following his heart. And it was one of the coolest moments of my life. That, that was literally, last night. literally just happened last night. But that book changed everything for me. What was it about the book that read, led to you writing Jumping Into the Parade? I think the big theme was that we don't have to be a prisoner of our past. And that the way out of everything is, is love. Yeah. That God loves us just the way that we are. And it's a choice that we're making to be free or to be a prisoner. To run the love or the fear program. And it's just all the perspective around the way that Rick Warren wrote that book. Mm -hmm. It was phenomenal. And if I had not read that book, I would not have been able to forgive myself. I would not have been able to forgive my, my former marriage, my parents, um, the other things in my life that had gone wrong. I mean, everything. It gave me a new start on my, on my, my life. And oh, that was a big part of starting this whole process for you. The free, what I'm hearing is forgiveness. Then it allowed you to start being vulnerable so these people that were in your life could actually have an impact in your life because you were allowing it by being vulnerable. And then, you, and then you, through that, changed your mindset. And it was those things coming together what allowed you to get to where you're at today, which would give people listening just a huge amount of hope that there, that there is a path there. And it, and it can coincide with being successful, having a career, running a company, being a father. Uh, although a lot of times we see those as almost mutually exclusive. You're right. We do. And, you know, the power of forgiveness is not blindly forgiving. Mm -hmm. The power of forgiveness is when you seek to understand what happened and you seek to understand why a person who maybe has hurt you did what they did. And it's the understanding of that that gives you peace and allows you to release it. So that's, that's a, a skill of empathy that has to be developed, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's incredibly powerful. The, the biggest piece to that is understanding how you forgive yourself. And like I said, I mean, it's all about choice. It's all about perspective. Yeah. 
So I, I did. A, I have a question for you. I'd love for you to share the title of the book, "Jumping into the Parade." Tim, where did that come from? My former father-in-law and I were walking around Washington Park. It was before I started in the radio business, and I was 31, I think. And he said, "In life, we can be paralyzed by our fears, mm -hmm. or we can follow our hearts and jump into the parade." And he said, the magic about jumping into the parade is that you can lead from the front, the back, the middle, but that you're in the parade instead of watching it go by. And there are two ways to live your life. You can either get out there and lead and go co-create, or you can watch your life go by and it goes by fast. And he said, so my advice to you is always jump in the parade and live life to the fullest. So he was, giving me a motivational talk at that time about why I should go out and start this radio station company and go follow my heart. And that's where the title came from. Well, you're, you're in the parade today, aren't you? You are not observing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I, I'm just, uh, a, you know, just a regular guy just trying to, to, to live and love life like everybody else. And you know, I enjoy hearing from people and, and hearing their stories. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, I, I'm always, always welcoming. Yeah, we're going to make your book available in our show notes. And if anybody leaves comments about this show, uh, Tim is going to be looking at those. And uh, we'll be forwarding those over to Tim. And uh, anybody that does make a comment, uh, we have uh, a couple copies of Tim's book to give away free. So we'll be picking some people that leave comments to do this. So as we wrap up, uh, I'd love for you to just maybe just take a couple minutes and just share, you know, maybe the one person that's listening who your story is just hitting them right where they live. Okay. And just share with them what's next. What, have, what, what would you tell them if you were sitting there having a, you just met them? And... Uh, number one, I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but it's all going to be okay. And... Keep the faith as, as bad as things may appear right now. They do get better and they get better quickly. You're not as helpless. You're not as hopeless. You're not alone in what you're going through. And you will have great joy in your heart. The first thing I want you to do is really appreciate who you are as a person and start to think about all the things that you do right in your life and stop focusing on the past. Your anger, your resentment all live in the past and let it go. And today is a new day and you can manifest whatever it is that you want. It all starts now. And in terms of the, the practical tool that I would encourage you to do right now are make two lists and spend an hour each making those lists. The first one, I want you to write down everything that brings you joy. And I want you to focus on all the small things. For me, as an example, I love pretzels, dipping them in cream trees, and drinking Diet Coke. I can't believe I just publicly admitted that, but it brings <laughs> me a ton of joy. But now and taking an hour, this isn't like five or 10 minutes and now I'm stuck, so I'm done. So if I'm hearing you right, sit there and think until you can't come up with anything else and then keep going. Exactly. This is a, you're going to have five to 10 pages of things by the time you're done in an hour. 
if you're doing it right and you're clear. The second piece is I want you to sit down and I want you to write a list of all the things that are going right in your life. Don't focus on anything right now that you think needs improvement. Just focus on the things going right. My third piece of advice, be gentle on yourself and realize that we're all human. We're all learning. We've all made mistakes. We don't have to be defined by them. And go get yourself a great community and a church that loves you and reach out to people you haven't talked to in a while and be vulnerable with them and speak about what's on your heart. You'd be surprised at how many people are going to rally around you, love you, support you, and and help you through this. And the, the beautiful part about this is in a short period of time, you're going to be able to return that to another person that's also going through the same mm -hmm. thing. And the pattern just continues to repeat, and we all help each other. We're all connected. I couldn't think of a better way to to wrap this up, Tim, that was powerful for just even for me personally. So thank you so much for your time. Thank I know you, this Ken. is going to be a huge blessing to people. So it was a, uh, awesome sitting down with you guys and, and I love it. And I love all of you out there in podcast land. <laughs> <laughs>This conversation was one of my favorites, and as you could tell, I just sat back and let two good friends just talk while I soaked it in. If you'd like a copy of Tim's book, Jumping Into the Parade, you can click on the link embedded in this MP3 description or go to our webpage, eternalleadership.com, and search for Tim Brown and find a link in those show notes. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be giving away three signed copies of Tim's book, and we've got three ways you could win one. Firstly, go to eternalleadership.com and sign up for our email newsletter. Secondly, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash eternalleadership and share the link to this episode. And then lastly, share a link to this episode on Twitter. Just be sure to include in your tweet, hashtag eternalleadership, all one word, hashtag eternalleadership. We'll randomly select one person from each category in the next six weeks and we'll share those names on an upcoming show. Next time on Eternal Leadership, CEO and philanthropist Ken Eldred on his book, The Integrated Life. In church, we talk about mostly love and relationship, and we, we don't really talk about things that impact people in their business day or their Monday. And as a result, mm -hmm. we take the view that Monday and uh, Sunday, or those two areas of our lives, are completely different compartments with completely different objectives. And they're not. And because he is God of all, everything has the same objective in life. And then instead of asking the question, which I always get from Christians, is how do I balance my life? The question is, how do I prioritize my life? This was a great conversation. I, I love, love, love talking to Ken Eldred. You don't want to miss it. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.